0: To the Mind Talks podcast, you're with myself, Nathan, and my co-host Edwin. Our special guest is an established ice hockey player who currently plays for Toronto Six in the National Women's Hockey League. She was part of the Canadian Under 18s team that won a silver at the World Championships. She is a public speaker and has a mentorship program tailored for young women. And lastly, she previously graduated from the prestigious yale university a warm welcome to soraya tinker how are you? Good.
1: How you
0: good 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 um we're i i'm particularly looking forward to this and the reason being is we've had an, a hockey player and you are officially the first ice hockey player so yeah for me personally i'm really looking forward to this well
1: thank you
0: so much for having me on Um so we have a nice traditional start which is taking you all the way back so what was your first living memory of either playing or watching a sport
1: oh jeez. um <laughs> well I mean I started playing um I started doing gymnastics and dance from an early age so okay. that was really what I, I mainly focused on but I definitely remember sitting and watching hockey games with my dad um my dad is my dad's black my mom's white and my dad's always enjoyed hockey so I remember sitting watching Leaf games with him um, and, you know, just just getting to know the game that way. And he wanted us to play and kind of prove people wrong. So, um, yeah.
2: And was that was that the early game that you played when you were younger or did you play a variety of sports?
1: Oh, no, I, I played just about everything. Um, mm. <laughs> played soccer, hockey, basketball, volleyball, ultimate frisbee. I curled oh. one time. Um, it was just just about everything. Lacrosse. So um, I started out in gymnastics and dance, like I said, but uh, they figured I was going to be too big for gymnastics as I was already quite tall as, as a, as a youngin. So um, my dad switched us over and, and we started playing hockey.
0: Okay. I want to go back to gymnastics. So I think I don't really live on regrets, but I think if I, in hindsight, if I could go back, I would definitely would have done gymnastics. And my only living memory of gymnastics and, and the love for it was there was a local boy in in, in our community. And I remember we was on the streets with him and I remember him doing a whole heap of bat flips one after the other. And I remember asking him, how did you learn to do that? And he he mentioned about gymnastics and another thing that I guess more recently, why I like gymnastics is the flexibility. And as I'm getting older now, <laughs> um, I'm not as flexible <laughs> as I as I once was. So I guess for you, could you just um, really ex- talk to the the men who may have a a mental barrier about gymnastics and and the importance of joining gymnastics and what it will do for them?
1: Yeah, I honestly I think gymnastics is the reason why I'm so good at or can excel in each sport that i've chosen to play um i think from a fundamental standpoint it teaches you it teaches you rhythm it teaches you flexibility like you said um and i think that that's really what kind of sparked my my love for sport is just you know i remember being on the on the floor and you know marching to the beat things like that i think that that's that's athletic fundamentals so i think um that definitely made me the athlete that i am today and Definitely can still do some flips and stuff. Not that I should be doing it, but uh, <laughs> might hurt myself now. But, um, but yeah, it was
2: definitely a good time. <laughs> and in terms of your, your talent and being able to to do a variety of sports, um, did, did hockey stand out in terms of your ability or were you good at nearly everything? <laughs>
1: um, I think... I think I, I was definitely good at hockey. Um, I would say I, I think that my best sport was probably soccer or basketball, um, but I had been being looked at for the national team for hockey um, for the time I was 15. So um, I knew I kind of had to choose and focus on what sport. And, I mean, I made the national team at 17, 18 for, for Team Canada. So, I mean, I think my, my choice was made with that. But I definitely – love soccer and basketball and probably enjoyed playing it a little more than I enjoyed playing hockey, but we've chosen to excel on the ice. instead.
0: That's really interesting. So you were, so I guess you said that soccer and basketball were your, I guess your best sports. Um, How mentally did you overcome that process where you may have had preferable sports, but you chose um, ice hockey. So I'm not talking about the latter end because obviously by, uh, you know, th- that age you just mentioned, you were, you know, at national level, but just going through the early stages, can you just talk to us how you almost streamlined it in your head?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I think it, it was a hard choice. Um, I was being recruited for basketball and soccer and hockey. So um, I re- I knew that my dad loved hockey the most. And I think that hockey was... Um, definitely the place that was going to take me the farthest in terms of taking me to an Ivy League school um so in that sense I think that hockey kind of made it clear that if I wanted to you know make a name for myself and you know play on the national team and things like that that hockey was the was the route I should take
2: and and when it comes to hockey um we see what we see in the UK but in terms of diversity was it was there any sort of diversity coming through the ranks or was that not something that existed
1: yeah definitely not i think um hockey definitely needs to to be more of an inclusive and diverse sport um i didn't play with another black player until my senior year at yale so with that happening i think that that just shows you the proof that's just proof that there's not enough diversity in the sport Um, And same goes for my brothers. My brothers all played hockey as well. And um, there might have been one or two people of color on their team. Uh, As, you know, boys hockey, there's a lot more men playing. But at the same time, we don't see full teams of BIPOC players. Very, very little, um, especially within as you as you come up in the ranks, especially in hockey. So um, it's difficult and it needs to improve, but we're doing it.
0: okay um one of i think in the uk for both edwin and myself one of our biggest barriers um for tennis was well joining a tennis club was was money um, they're very 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 expensive and edwin and i um have a a a large love for tennis and it's a it's, it's unfortunate because as much as we played a lot of you know football slash soccer Um, it would have been great for us to try something new, um, get out of of our comfort zone, so to speak, and just, you know, meet new people. So can you just talk about, you know, at club level, you know, in the early stages when kids are joining, um, what are the main barriers um, when joining ice hockey?
1: Yeah, I I think cost is definitely the biggest one. Um, We look at how much the equipment costs, uh, and in, in a lot of other sports, like like you mentioned tennis, like you need a racket and a ball and maybe some running shoes for the court. Um, mm. Whereas in hockey, you need skate, shoulder pads, shin pads, pants, helmet, gloves, stick. Like sticks, the top end sticks right now are four hundred dollars. Wow. Top end skates are twelve hundred dollars. So in wow. that sense, you're you're not gonna be able to implement the, the the sport within you know lower income communities because they simply can't afford it. So I think mm-hmm. that's definitely something that we need to see change, um, whether it's equipment donations or um, making the sport cheaper, as I don't think anybody should be paying $1,400 for a pair of skates. But um, <laughs> in that sense, definitely the cost is a huge barrier, and we see the BIPOC kids slowly exiting the game as they grow and need new equipment and you know already don't feel necessarily included with their team, um, as hockey is an incredibly white sport.
2: Hmm. Wow. Well. Was there any point when your parents were (laughs) weighing up the cost and thinking this might be a bit too expensive?
1: Yeah, for sure. I I definitely realize I'm looking back now as I move into my adult life and, you know, finding out how much real life actually costs and and realizing that there was a reason we didn't have any food in the fridge for a week and a half when I was... 15 playing because my parents had a nine thousand dollar bill to pay for my season so um, in in that sense i definitely realize how blessed i am to have parents that you know somehow managed to scrape it together and and pay for me to play um but at the same time i i know so many other people who haven't been able to afford to play at that top level just because you know if you're playing at that top level you're traveling it's hotels it's your equipment it's sticks Sticks break. Those four hundred dollars sticks. You could take one shot and it breaks. So there goes four hundred dollars. So um, wow. I, I definitely realize the sacrifices that my parents made, and I was fortunate enough to have have parents. I, I would say I grew up in a lower to middle class um, family, and and my yeah. parents are just kind of hitting their stride now, as they were quite young when they had me. Um, yeah. But no, for for sure, it's uh, I recognize all of the the barriers that my parents had to get through to be able to let me play and make
0: it to the level i've made it to wow wow. so i want to take it back a little bit so i want to um reference a, a blog um yeah one of the parts of your blog and it reads skating in canada is its own language it doesn't matter what you look like or who you are if you can skate you can skate hockey isn't like that um, can you just explain to the audience um, what that meant to you and why did you write that?
1: Yeah, I think that in Canada, um, obviously hockey is our national sport, so we we do see a lot of people out on the pond, out on out on rinks, and you know skating. There's so many outdoor rinks. There's an outdoor rink around every corner um, out here by my house. So. There's people skating all the time um, and not necessarily in hockey skates Could be figure skates. But I think that everybody or most people who, who are Canadian have, have skated in some sense, whether it's a school field trip or or what. But um, I don't think that hockey's like that just because I think anybody can go hop on the outdoor rink and skate and, you know, be welcomed in the family atmosphere. But the moment I've always stepped into the hockey rink specifically, I felt unwelcomed. And I I think that you know you can obviously anybody can put on a pair of skates, but I think the moment you step into the rink and and people see your color and automatically assume that you don't deserve to be there or you know you don't know what you're doing there or you don't play or you don't start or you're not good, um, those are all assumptions that I've I've received. So um, I think that that's how hockey expresses itself as as completely different than skating. Obviously, skating is an aspect of hockey, but. There's so much more that goes into into the game than uh, than just just
2: <laughs> That's crazy because that means you have to think about a lot more than just focusing on your game. When you're playing it, you have to think of your environment. You have to feel like if I don't play well, what are they thinking? It's it's it's, yeah. it's crazy situation to be in.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's it's definitely frustrating, and I think that that's where a lot of my frustrations came from. And in, in not necessarily loving the game, um, you see those those microaggressions and. I I highlight microaggressions a lot just because I think that a lot of the um, outwardly, the comments that I've heard have been microaggressions. And at that point, those people don't realize that they're microaggressions. So um, whether it's asking me if I, well, a lot of times they're like, well, like, are are you good? Like, do you you start? Like, do you play? And I'm like, yep, I was a four-year starter and played on the national team. And people Mm. just automatically assume that you're not good. Um, and I think that that's been a very frustrating part. And it, it has made me question my sense of belonging at the ring.
0: Positionally, are there any stereotypes in our hockey? Because uh, we've spoken to a couple of guests um, in regards to soccer. And I think the overwhelming theme is that with Black players, it's just pace and power. Now the youngsters call it PMP <laughs> because that's just what it is, pace and power. And... I think he, just before I was going to ask the question, there is a, a football player that not everyone will know, but his name's Yaya Torre. And I remember throughout his time at Manchester City, um, that's all everyone saw him as. He was just this guy that had, was massively strong and was very fast. But there was a season where he scored 20 goals. Now, 20 goals um, coming from a midfielder in the league is not purely down to pace and power. There's got to be something more than that. You know, the technical aspect is the decision-making. It's the free kicks, which is again, aligned to technicality. So um, it would be interesting to hear from your side, um, what are some of the positional stereotypes in ice hockey? Oh, um, honestly,
1: I'm not sure that there are positional stereotypes per se. Um, I, I think most of the stereotypes that I know positionally are, are kind of goofy. I guess. Um, I think hockey mm. goalies are, are known to kind of be a little a little loopy sometimes.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. And all,
1: all the goalies that I know are they're complete goofballs and they're like <laughs> fun ones on the team. Because I mean, yeah, anybody you gotta be somewhat crazy to want to have a <laughs> shot at your head during yeah. game. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean on defense I have I've been very big from the time I was born so um, in that sense I think I was 510 in the sixth grade so I've I was a big big defenseman so I'm, I've always been a big enforcer a big enforcer defenseman that gets a lot of penalties um, but I also can I can also be a skilled player so yeah. um, I think we, we see a little bit of the the um, the positional stereotypes, but not as much as in, in other sports.
0: Okay.
2: In your short time in hockey, <laughs> what do you feel could be done differently to make it more diverse? So we've spoken a little bit in terms of the finance side of things. So with the finance side of things, it, it being so expensive, you kind of limit the, the amount of people that can come into it. What else do you think could be done to make it more diverse and inclusive?
1: Um, I think, personally, I think that conversations need to be had within teams and, you know, developing your what your team atmosphere and what your team beliefs and values are going to be. Um, for myself, I found that when I was on teams where my captain uh, was willing to speak up on, on my behalf in terms of something that was said, um, was the team that I enjoyed being on way more than um, when my captain didn't feel comfortable speaking up. Um, from what I notice, I notice a lot of um, a, a lot of ignorance um, in the sport. So I think a lot of people need to realize that. Obviously, you know, a lot of people play hockey, but a lot of our BIPOC community don't feel welcome, and that goes to that goes towards the kids that are in the dressing room. It goes to the parents that are in the stands. Um, I know that my dad has often stood alone at the rink, um, tried to join conversations, and kind of been shut out. And that's frustrated my mom. So now my mom stands alone as well. So um, in in that regard, I think that there's a lot of room for improvement. And I think a lot of it is just going to have to start with having conversations and letting our white counterparts know how uncomfortable they've made us in this space.
0: Okay. I wanna talk to you about, I wanna move away um, because I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested in training. So I'm trying to think, so, Essentially, in my mind, I'm visualizing that the core training um, for teams will be on ice, but there has to be an aspect where it's going to be off ice, so maybe i.e., in the gym, etc. So can you just talk to the audience about that process? And can you talk to us about the percentage of um, what's the the focus on ice compared to off ice?
1: Yeah, I think in in hockey, a lot of our off ice stuff is focused on on lifting really heavy and and being in the weight room. Um, So, I mean, I'll give college as an example, I guess. In college, we played every single Friday and Saturday, um, and we practiced, we were on the ice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, played Friday, Saturday, and Sunday was our only day not on the ice. Um, And then on top of that, during our practices, we usually lift in the weight room two to three times a week. Um, So it is quite rigorous, and um, a lot of us are, are definitely very strong. Um, it's a lot of our weight room stuff is, is like squat and bench, um, squats are definitely, uh, implemented quite heavily within our sport. Um, but I would say it's, it's, it's pretty much equal. You got to put in the work off the ice just as much as you do on the ice. Um, whether it's stick handling with a ball outside or, or whether it's in the weight room, I think that all of those things can, you know, correlate to the ice and, and help you in that way. Um, but in hockey, a lot of our focus is focused on both, both sides okay. of
2: that. And how how do you mentally deal with basically playing with a stick and potentially getting hit with a stick? How how, how did you deal with that mentally, knowing that potentially pain can happen? And what do you do to overcome that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously it's an aggressive sport. Uh, I, I guess you could you could probably ask the same question to football guys. I don't know why they want to run and bash their heads <laughs> against each other on the field, but. Um, I mean, in that sense, I think hockey—we're we're covered in equipment, so I think you kind of got to go out there fearless, anyways. Um, just as I think you do in any sport, but obviously you've got the risk of of being hit with a stick or or the puck. But I mean, blocking shots is a huge power move in hockey. So more shots you block, the the more powerful and the more tough you are. So um, I think that part of the game of hockey is kind of thriving on the physicality and thriving on the on the um the pieces where you might get hurt
0: (laughs) i think one of this is going to sound really ignorant so i'm not sure if edwin will remember so you know on the first playstation there Mm -hmm. was an ice hockey game Mm -hmm. um And, um, uh, you know, the best part of it, it was from EA Sports, and the best part of it is, obviously, you can, you know, start fighting. Um, That's where I was (laughs) (laughs) going. You can always start fighting. Now, um, there is is almost a perception, and you you kind of almost alluded to it, but with goalies specifically. But I guess, for me, when I look at it um, from, from a wider perspective, hockey players are pretty crazy because... They just, it, they always seems to be, and maybe it's the media coverage, maybe they're doing a really good job at just always showcasing the fights. And obviously YouTube, you know, they, you know, they have their segments of it. So can you just talk about the, is there a, is there a, is the, is there a wrong stigma attached to ice hockey players with regards to the violence that people actually see?
1: To be honest, I I think in the NHL, like in in the top level men's games, I think there probably is a fight a game. But I mean, actually, now that you say, now that you bring up the the concept of fighting in in women's hockey, we there is body contact, but we're not allowed to like open ice hit people. Um, okay. So and we're, and we're like as women, we're not taking off our gloves and helmets and punching each other. So I think it's definitely more so on the male side. But as you were talking about earlier, in terms of positionally um, positional stereotypes, I think yeah. the reason you do see a fight every NHL game usually is because there is an enforcer on every team. So um, their their job is sense. to go out there and get the other team, you know, riled up and mad, and you know, get your team going. So that's why the fight. <laughs> so I definitely mm. think that there is there is a lot of fighting in it. But mm. at the same time, I think that that's a it's part of the game in terms of yeah. rallying a team together and things like that.
2: Mm. Talk to us about how you felt when you first got drafted professionally.
1: Yeah, uh, I definitely mixed emotions, to be honest. I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to play professionally. Um, I was quite done with the sport uh, in terms of everything I had experienced thus far. Um but I realized that I kind of I, I needed to play still for the little girls behind me, uh, the little black girls that love to see us play and, you know, make them realize that they can be in our position. So I continued playing and um, I definitely didn't expect to be drafted as high as I did um, fourth overall to the Riveters. So uh, with that, I, I was definitely very excited and, and decided to you know continue to use my platform for, for good. And um, and yeah.
0: So you joined the Riveters and I guess, can you just speak about your season? Because I know um, what the season was like for you, but could you just speak about it?
1: Yeah, uh, so we were in, we had a bubble um, in Lake Placid and actually it was during our third game, um, we had a COVID outbreak. So uh, we had to shut down our bubble and I had to, we, had, we all had to go home. Um, so we didn't, I mean, the season did end up being finished in March um, when they came together to finish the tournament. But my team was actually the first team to, you know, get COVID. <laughs> so um, I think everybody was, was positive except for four of us, myself included, being in the negative. So I was thankful for that. But um, only have played three professional games so far. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we had to shut it down. So it's definitely a tough season. But, I mean, we'll do what we can, and I'm looking forward to playing a full season next year.
2: So are, are the rules going to change um, in terms of the protocols because of COVID?
1: Um, so far, we were just notified last week that everybody who's participating this season must be fully vaccinated, um, and uh, I'm sure we'll be implementing more more protocols in terms of masks at rinks and things like that. Um, but... As, as of right now, everybody, if you are particip- participating in the 20, 2021-22 season, you must be fully vaccinated.
0: Okay. I want to talk to you about um, Riveters. So what, what I saw is that they have changed their logo. So there's this logo and it's of a woman and she's called Rosie. And what they've done is they've changed the logo from white to light gray. And I guess it's to almost um, de-racialize Rosie. So for you, what do you think the significance is on Rosie being de-racialized?
1: I think that, I think it's a good thing. I think that having a white Rosie on the front of our shirt, to be honest with you, doesn't quite align with history. Um, There are definitely many black women within that, um, that that era and that revolution that we had. So, um, I think that, you know, showcasing a white Rosie, I think that that's just, you know, kind of falls into, into our, our stereotypes being placed within hockey as it being a a completely white sport. Um, but I think them making her silver and deracializing her, I think that, um, that is how things should go because I think that just as much as we could have had a, a white woman on the front of our Jersey, we could have just as much had a black woman. So um, I think that they're, they're, that's, that's a step in the right direction.
2: So apart from the lack of diversity and inclusion in the sport, what are some of the other challenges that you've had to go through um, playing? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I mean, it's definitely very challenging. I, I, I committed to Yale um, in my 10th grade year. So I, I knew I was going to attend Yale from, a very, from an early age, from the time I was about 15. Um, so, I mean, keeping my grades up have been, it was, was a challenge um, to make sure that I continued to have the same average that I did um, that when, I, when I committed. Um, so, I mean, the pressure of that is obviously very high. Um, being at an Ivy League school the pressure is very high and you know expectations you set on yourself versus the expectations other others have of you as well is, is something that weighs heavily on your shoulders but um, for, for myself freshman year um, I was diagnosed with depression anxiety so um, I, I had to you know push through that through college and, and you know find out how to cope with it uh, in terms of you know, not necessarily being feeling included on my team and having to reach out elsewhere for other friends and um, other people to talk to. Um, and I mean, another big reason actually why I paint um, is because I've always struggled with my body image. Um, I've never necessarily liked the way I, I've looked. Um, I'm obviously I'm five ten, have enough athletic frame. Um, see my weight fluctuate all the time based on my time of season. So with that comes you know body image stereotypes just falling in my head um seeing things on instagram and things like that but that's actually one of the reasons i paint my my nude body figures now um this is part of the reason i enjoy doing that is just you know showcasing that everybody's body is different and everybody's body is beautiful
0: okay and we're going to talk a little bit about painting because that was something that i did see um so i'll definitely bring that up later i want to stay on yale so again ivy league who doesn't know about your university so what would you say were the three biggest lessons um that you that you've taken from your time at yale university
1: Hmm. um i think upon getting to yale i definitely didn't feel like i belonged there um i was you know listening to other kids conversations and hearing my Hmm. classmates in class and me not even knowing what the words they said meant Uh, i was definitely questioning whether or not i was smart enough to be there Um, Mm -hmm. so that was definitely a challenge, but I think, um, I learned that, that I am smart enough and that every person has their own, um, abilities and capabilities because a lot of us, um, a lot of the, the super nerds that, that attend Yale, they're, they're not necessarily great at having conversation. Um, whereas us athletes, we, we may not be working for NASA, but, um, we have, we can have conversations and, and be personable and things like that. Um, so I think that that was definitely a big thing that I learned is that I am good enough to be there and we, we all are smart enough in our own ways. Um, and I mean, let me think. Yeah. So the, the first lesson I learned was definitely that I, that everybody that gets into the school is, is worthy of being there. Um, you were picked to attend there for a reason. Um, so, you know, to trust in yourself and trust in your own abilities Um, I think the other thing I learned was to reach out and, you know, get outside your comfort zone. Um, I'm definitely an outgoing individual, but when it comes to, you know, networking and having those conversations with with businesses and, you know, interviews and things like that, um, it's a challenge and it's intimidating sometimes. So I think another thing that I learned was to just Be yourself and to network to the best of your ability because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know who you're sitting next to in the dining hall at Yale, especially. Um, And, you know, you never know who your professors are going to be, who your professors are, what they've done. Um, We have a lot of guest speakers. And, you know, I, I decided to get out of my comfort zone and, you know, talk to a lot of the guest speakers that came in and get advice from them if I enjoyed the lesson. Um, and that's definitely something that i would not have done in high school so to reach out and you know don't don't be shy i guess um and then the third thing i would say is is i mean at yale is where i made my lifelong friends um so as as hard as university is and as, as focused as you may feel like you have to be there's also time to have fun um people often think that kids at ivy league schools don't don't party or, or don't have fun we're just in the library 24 7 but definitely have fun so um in that sense i think it's it's good you gotta you gotta reach out have your fun um make friends because they'll be your lifelong friends
2: that that is true that is true (laughs) (laughs) me and you absolutely Absolutely. (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah that's that's how we met so some some of the closest friends you make you make at that stage of your life so yeah it's um yeah that's that's a very important stage in our lives i think um my next question is going to kind of link back to some of what you mentioned in terms of anxiety and depression that you suffered so we know now in sport mental health is is a a major topic that they're talking about right now how much support is provided in ice hockey when it comes to Hmm. mental health
1: um i think it depends on on your team and depends on your school Um, I think a lot of, I think my coaches were definitely very accepting and understanding Um, if you needed a practice off or you weren't mentally okay. um, So I think having good coaches that support you is a huge thing. And and to be honest with you, I've never not necessarily received support from a coach from a mental health perspective. Um, I think I haven't received support from a racial standpoint, Um, but in terms of mental health, I think that they've done a good job and I think it's something that they have to you know, kind of um, accept from their players uh, just because I think so many athletes go through this. Um, And then I think it also depends on the school you're at. So Yale mental health and counseling. um, That's that's a big thing at Yale. Um, I I remember thinking that it was stupid to go and that I really didn't want to talk to somebody that I didn't know. Um, And I thought that the, the activities they were giving me were stupid. So I know my whole freshman year, I just refused to go to any of my appointments. But at that point, I realized I wasn't helping myself so um for the following three years i knew that i needed to go to my therapy sessions and um needed to talk to somebody so i think that yale definitely has a great mental health and counseling center um but again i think it depends on your coaches and it depends on your school
0: okay i guess being somebody that has suffered from depression um i guess i'm gonna ask you a question um twofold so First part is, how do you rank the National um, Women's Hockey League in terms of dealing with depression and compared to the wider community out of 10? So 10 being the highest and 1 being the lowest. I mean,
1: I think I think in terms of women's sports, um, not just specifically my league, I think that most of the women's professional leagues do an amazing job. Of supporting their female athletes, just because we realize we don't necessarily get that support from the general public, so it is on our coaches and yeah. on our teammates, on our friends to you know show their support. Um, so honestly, I would say in terms of women's professional sports, I think it ranks about a seven. I think that we are always able okay. to find support if we need it. And um, then again, I mean, if if someone's not receiving support, then of course then they deserve it and they should be recognized for it and you know have that help given to them. But again, I I do think that us professional women's sports, we do look out for each other because we we don't always receive the support that we need from, from our male counterparts or from, you know, just our, our everyday fans.
2: One of the biggest challenges today, um, is social media. Have you received any type of abuse? And if you have, how do you mentally move forward? from
1: Yeah, I definitely have. Um, there was a, an incident actually during the NWHL bubble where I, I tweeted something that um, racist people didn't seem to agree with me about, which is fine. <laughs> but at that point I uh, I was receiving quite a bit of backlash and a lot of hate. Um, and to be honest, I think initially I was like, I was very upset with what I was reading, but at the same time, I think it just made me realize how much, how much hurt and hate people have for themselves because when you when you love yourself and you're you're confident there's no reason for you to talk to other people that way or you know wish bad upon someone so i think for for myself i've, I've obviously been hurt by some of the, the things i've read but i don't let it get to me to the point where um it allows me to fall into depression or anything like that just because i know that those people need help themselves rather than you know being keyboard warriors so <laughs> education
2: One the,
0: it is It's definitely education. And I guess one of the things that comes to mind is, I guess, I don't know if it is, I guess it's a a comment slash question. So I think of, so in the UK, we've got this player, soccer player called Marcus Rashford, and um, he's been really pushing um, a campaign for, I guess, um, children who are not getting food, basically. And it's really helping kids who aren't free school meals And this helping lower income families because he came from a lower income family and, you know, it's just something that he has taken on his back. And that's one example. And then you've got LeBron, who is LeBron James in America, who does and says quite a few um, and has done action, has actioned quite a few, you know, social measures, but... What I find quite concerning is that, and I'll never forget this woman on, I won't mention her name on Fox News, and her response to LeBron was, stick to what you know best. And Marcus Rashford has almost received the same kind of attention and and viewpoint. And I guess my question to you is, how do you feel that we live in a world where sports stars are almost seen as just being sports stars and are not allowed to be experts in another field it's almost like they're being confined and, and and put in a box Like, how do you feel about that considering you you're you're you know you are so much for you know the the justice for for you know women of color just for women as well so how does that make um, you feel i
1: i think it's it's very ignorant for our fans and people who watch sports to tell us to you know shut up and play um, per se. I think that uh, we, I mean, we as athletes know that we're more than your Friday and Saturday night inter- entertainment, and we know that we have opinions, we have mm. families, we have husbands, we have wives, um, and we're just like, I mean, we go to our sport, and that's our job. So. I mean, if these people in their job and then come home and they don't get a, get an opinion at home, that's basically what you're telling us. Um, again, like I said, we're more than your your entertainment. So I think that we d- we do deserve to be able to express our opinions, and I think that we should because we all have platforms to do so. Um, and I think that if you're if you're not using your platform in a positive sense or trying to create change in some sort of way, create positive change per se. Um, then you're not doing your job fully right because i think it's we have so many little kids who look up to us there's so many little boys who want to be lebron james and i mean if he's using his platform for negativity we're just going to have a bunch of little boys who are just going to spread negativity because they want to be like him so yeah. we're role models yeah. and we're more than just athletes for sure <laughs> yeah.
2: and that's the thing and I, that's the thing that people have to take into consideration that athletes are role models some may not want to be role models but they are when you're in a position like that you're going to get young young kids wanting to be like certain athletes wanting to, to do exactly what they're doing so when you've got people like marcus rashford trying to make a difference and they're being told to stay in their lane it's it's quite it's quite yeah. <laughs> quite concerning yeah.
1: oh no for sure and i i think um, even, even for myself, people are asking me why I'm doing my activism and why I care. And to be honest, I don't necessarily care what my own personal experience is anymore. You guys can put out <laughs> as much hate towards me as you want, as long as you're not pushing out that hate to the little black girls who are playing hockey behind me, because the reason I'm still playing and accepting all the hate is so that they don't have to, um, and they can, they can play and flourish to the same level that their white counterparts do. So um, I think that it's, it's so important that people realize that us athletes we're, we're educated. A lot of us too. We all have, we, most of us have degrees. Um, we have opinions, we studied yeah. things in school that weren't just our sport. Um, our sport is just simply what we just happen to be incredibly good at. So, um, if that's your Friday and Saturday night, Saturday night inter- entertainment, sure. But at the same time, we have opinions <laughs> and we're human. <laughs>
0: okay. That's <all> right. <laughs> So I want to talk to you about salaries uh, men versus women. So I guess I'll tell you about my evolution. So when this became a topic a good few years ago, I was of the belief that look, men should be earning a lot more than women and in terms of, you know, the marketing that men bring in in terms of, you know, the gate receipts etc there is just no comparison, but I've kind of evolved. And the reason why I've evolved is because there are three boxers, three female boxers, um, Katie, Katie Taylor, Savannah Marshall, and Clarissa Shields. Now, so, taking out Savannah Marshall, because she hasn't really got a, a big brand, but Clarissa Shields and Katie Taylor are absolutely huge. And in terms of Katie Taylor, I've, re- I've said this, that I think technically she's one of the best boxers in the UK male or female. And with regards to Clarissa Shields, we know what Clarissa Shields is doing in both boxing as well as um, debuting in MMA. So now my opinion has evolved because now it's actually, I do feel that there is actually a a case for there to be a, a smaller gap, but that's really um, in boxing. And when you look at people like Clarissa Shields and Katie Taylor, they are doing their own shows. They are, you know, the main card on that show. So again, and they are filling out stadiums and, you know, small, small stadiums, but nevertheless still stadiums. So I guess from your perspective with ice hockey, um, what are your views on the current gap between men and female? Males, sorry, male and female. But more importantly, do you think there should be a gap and why And why do you think that is i
1: mean i think people often i think people have to look at the bigger picture um i think um for us we're not necessarily looking for equal pay obviously we say equal pay but i think people need to realize the extent that this is an issue um so yeah in regards to talking about clarissa shields for example um you she's on tv they're putting her on tv um and i think it's hilarious yeah. because every time a woman's hockey game gets put on tv it's like oh my goodness they had millions of viewers but they only put our gold medal game on tv and yet they're asking us to continue they're like well your sport doesn't bring in money you have to put us on tv in order for us to make money that's how the 100%. men make money mm-hmm. um it's all through marketing and yeah. branding and all that stuff so you put us on TV, we get mm-hmm. that marketing we get our viewership we need investors and i also think in terms of the pay gap, like I said, I don't think we're looking. I personally, I know that I I don't think that I am going to make, I don't think I'm going to have a five-year, $7 million contract for an NHL team. But at the same time, I think people need to realize how much us women are actually making. Currently in the NWHL, our our salary cap for each team is $300,000. And that's that's, that's yeah, hold on, hold on. us twenty-four players whoa, 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 whoa. and our coaches and staff. That's whoa. an average. I mean, three. 000 three hundred thousand dollars per team. So we are we're not making but, wow. anything close wow. to a living wage. So if you're if you're dividing that if you're wow. if you're simply dividing it by the players, three hundred thousand divided by what twenty-four? We're each getting what thirteen thousand dollars. So. That's oh, that's enough wow. to pay for my groceries wow. for a five month period, I guess, as an mm. athlete. But at the same time, I think people need to mm. realize that that is the issue. We're not even making enough money to survive. Meanwhile, we are in the gym, same amount as the men are, we're on the ice, we're pushing ourselves hard and we, we work just as hard. I don't expect to make a million dollars, but I do expect to make a living wage. Um, and that's where we need to see more investors in women's sports. Um, I know the, the WNBA, they currently, they make living wage. Um, I believe the NWSL just yeah. hit living wage within the past year and a half or so for their contracts. Um, and the NWHL is next in terms of, you know, giving our players that, that living wage. So um, obviously I think people, I mean, I have the conversation all the time. I, I don't think, I mean, men are saying, oh, well you don't deserve to be paid this amount, but I do think I deserve to be paid enough money to put food on my table. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah definitely it's, well, it's a joke but then when it, when it comes to sponsorships how do how sponsorship deals um, differ from the men Mom,
1: I, I think it's just, it's just we don't have the, that same level of investment in women's sport I think people people often overlook they don't see the value in it because they don't see us making money but they don't realise the more investments we get the bigger TV deals we can have the more we can be put on national television and the more money we make so we need those we need those and we need those small investments to get us going and off the ground and we need people to have faith in us because i know for a fact there are so many people who enjoy watching women's sports and i know all these men with daughters i know they want their daughters to feel as though they're they're welcome and you know athletes and and legitimate so why why you know why create an even further pay gap
0: <laughs> yeah so I'm still recovering from um, 300k evenly distributed. Oh, not necessarily evenly distributed, but distributed amongst um, 24 members of staff, including players and um, non-playing staff. So, yeah, I'm I'm really really shocked by it because because then you have to think of your star player may have to get more of the share, but then you need to make sure that. The other players are not necessarily gonna become demotivated because their star players getting more, but then you've got the the non-playing staff who are uh, who are equally putting in hard work, sacrifice. Like it's just, uh, it's honestly crazy. And, I, I, I don't, and is it a going? Cr- yeah, go on. I, I, don't
1: think that, go on. Um, I don't think every contract should be the same. I don't think every player on my team should yeah. being paid the same amount. There are, are obviously star players and players who have more playing time. But even Mm. if you look at it, our star players, our max salary in our league, if you are receiving max salary, is $35,000. And even in in North America, that is not living wage. So (laughs) it's difficult. And I mean, I will highlight the fact that every girl in my league has a nine to five outside of playing professionally, because we need to. But on top of it, we're Mm. still required to be in the gym and put in the work and perform. So... (laughs)
2: wow there must be so many people that turn away from the school. yeah for sure
1: definitely i mean one of the reasons i chose to attend yale university is because i knew i wasn't going to make a million dollars playing my sport so i figured why wouldn't i as a female i should get my education at the best possible place that i can um because i'm going to make more in my nine to five as i than i am playing hockey
0: so, we, I guess we, in terms of um, women's sport, is definitely we're definitely in a um, progressive stage. Um, when you compare it to even a decade or so ago, so in the next decade, where do you see salary um, salaries for women in hockey ice hockey? Yeah, I mean,
1: actually, last season that that actually just happened. So we actually just doubled our salary cap this for this upcoming season. Wow. So last year our salary wow. cap for each team was 150,000, and now we're up to 300,000. So max salary last year, I think oh, wow. I believe it was 20, and minimum was five, um, five thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, so to be honest with you, I think that if we continue to get the investments <laughs> and the sponsorships we need in the upcoming years, I don't see why we wouldn't be able to double our salary cap again in another two years, hopefully. Um, but at mm, the same time, it, yeah. it takes so much time. It takes so many investors. It takes um, it takes a lot of effort on our on our player part too to be able to you know push that out and market ourselves for a sport that you know people aren't respecting enough to invest in us. So um, it is it is so difficult and it's so frustrating. <laughs>
2: oh, wow, that is crazy. I'm going to talk a little bit about defeats. So when you suffered defeats. Is that something that weighs weighs on your mind, or do you get over it quite quickly? And if so, what do you do to get over um, the defeats?
1: I'm a player that's definitely very hard on myself. Um, I I take things to heart in terms of my own shifts, so uh, I often have you know played angry because I had a bad shift. But I've learned throughout my career that I need <laughs> to you know kind of let it go. Um, I I think in terms of defeats, I I do let them go a lot easier now and just kind of look back and want to realize what I should have improved on. And I'm going to watch my game film seven times over to make sure that I'm not going to make the same mistake. But um, in that sense, I think in terms of defeats, I think I'm going to be I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to do it again because I'm hard on myself that way. But at the same time, I think it is it is easy to you know get over and move forward just because we often play back-to-back games. So if you played bad on Friday, you better not play bad again on Saturday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm. Being a defenseman, do you have a, I guess, the pride of keeping clean sheets? Because um, one thing in soccer, a team could Three be kids. winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> One thing in soccer is you could you can be winning 6-0 and then they concede a goal in the last minute and the, the, the defence are absolutely fuming. Do you have that or does it fall in line with what you were saying before that you just don't have the time to really um, focus on, you know, um, not necessarily defeats, but I guess... Um, I got problems that happened, or you know, con- concedes um, in in a um, in a game. Um, think, yeah. yeah. So I guess just to clarify, yeah, just to clarify, how do you react when you you don't keep a clean sheet?
1: Um, I think in hockey, it's such a fast-paced game that you have to forgive and forget per se very quickly. Um, I know I'm going to be on the ice for 45 seconds, and I might totally screw up and let in a goal but I also know that I'm going back out again in a minute and a half and I better not do the same thing. So it's easy to kind of erase that from your mind and have to continue on with the game just because you're out there, your shifts are quick. You gotta, you gotta forget if you, if you had one bad shift. You've got 30 other ones to make it up, especially in, in, in hockey. So um, I think it's not as stressful and you definitely have to let things go into your head or else you're just going to continue to play bad.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think one of my one of my last questions to you is to do with the rest of your career. So, what things have you not achieved that you want to achieve by the time that you're done with ice hockey?
1: Um, to be honest, I think I think I have achieved everything I hope to achieve in hockey. Um, my end goal was obviously to play on the Olympic team, um, but I know that that's not really in my reach anymore, just based on how the program goes. <clears> how- <throat> Hockey Canada works. Um, how the girls are placed in the program, things like that. Um, so obviously, I still play professionally, but I think I have achieved everything that I, I've uh, I've hoped to achieve. Um, obviously, I, I haven't made the Olympic team, but I do. I was able to wear the Canadian jersey and play in a World Championship, and I have a silver medal. Um, I attended an Ivy League school for four years, and you know, played all four years. And I mean, obviously, I don't have a full year of professional hockey under my belt yet, but. Um, that'll that'll come after this season and I, I think I, I have accomplished everything that I've wanted to in hockey I think the only thing left for me to accomplish is to see that the girls that I mentor come up behind me. I think that that'll be my next accomplishment is seeing them commit to the big schools and seeing them you know have fun in my mentorship program and you know seeing them thrive and be the badass black women that I intend for them to be. <laughs>
0: Talk to us about your mentorship program. What does it mean to you and what is your overall mission yeah, for it? So uh,
1: with Soroya Strong, we, um, I have got about 45 girls on my email list right now, um, all across North America. So got plenty in Canada, plenty in the U.S. as well. Um, and right now I give them monthly newsletters, um, updates in women's sports. Um, I usually put a workout, a recipe and highlight some of the girls if they've committed to a school or if they had a good game or something like that. Um, so they get monthly newsletters um, we do out of season when I'm not in season, we do uh, weekly uh, zoom workouts. So I'll lead a zoom workout or I'll ask another person to lead a zoom workout. Um, and then I've given them guest speakers. So Sarah nurse talked to them uh, a little while ago. Um, they had a great time talking to her and her journey to, to the Olympics as, as a black female on the Canadian national team. Um, and, and really, I just want to create a community uh, for the girls. For myself, I, like I said, I never played with another Black player until my senior year at Yale. And I think that if I was able to develop friendships with other Black women that love the game as much as I did, I would have had a better time. Um, So, I mean, obviously, a lot of, to be honest, a lot of my girls have found out that they live 20 minutes away from the person that's in our community and they've been hanging out now. Um, So I think that's really what I want to Mm. provide for them and and make sure that I'm empowering them to be the best.
2: Before we end this podcast we have to talk about um your painting because I've seen we've both me and Nathan have both seen some of your painting and it's exceptional and talk to us about the reasons behind why you paint what you paint and um how how, how it was yeah, started. Um
1: to be honest I I have always loved art. Um my mom's very artistic. Uh she probably doesn't think or say she is but she's a great painter so I grew up kind of seeing her paintings around my grandparents' house that she had done when she was younger. Um, my mom was always taking me to uh, cooking classes or art classes. Um, so I've always been interested in art, but just was never able to fully focus on it because of my sport. Um, so actually, when I got home, I was stuck at home my senior year from, uh, from Yale. So I had to finish up my last semester online. Um, and I decided to start painting during when COVID started, just because I was so bored at home and I had missed it so much. Um, so I just kind of started painting for my pleasure, um, and people started wanting to buy them, so I started selling them. But I usually paint my favorite music artists, so Lauryn Hill, Tupac, um, Easy. Who else did I do? I did Mary J. Blige a couple weeks ago. Um, but then the other paintings I do are nude female figures. Um, and I think the reason I do this is is because of the negative body image that I had of myself before. Um, I think that when I'm painting them, I realize that even if I do mess up or make a mistake that I consider to be a mistake in my own head it's not because everybody's body is different and if I mess up on a curve or um or something it's not that big of a deal um and the painting still turns out beautiful so I think it's it's a way of teaching myself that um you know the way my body fluctuates and the way my body you know functions is completely fine and it's normal and it's beautiful and people people buy the paintings so why not keep painting them.
0: Absolutely. And um, my last question, so is it, It's a, I guess it's what I, I think of you. So I guess one of the common themes when I was doing my research on you is Black Girl Hockey Club. Can you just speak briefly about the Black Girl Hockey Club, what it means to you? And moving forward, where do you want it to go? Yeah,
1: so Black Girl Hockey Club um, is a nonprofit organization founded in, it was actually founded in California. Um, by a black woman named Renee Hess and Renee really wanted to just create a community for black women to come together just like I I am in my mentorship program. Um, But she wanted to create a community for black women to, you know, celebrate hockey um, in, in the space that they weren't necessarily being celebrated. Uh, So with black girl hockey club, my mom actually found black girl hockey club for me my senior year of college and said that I should reach out. So ever since then I've gotten really close with Renee. I'm a volunteer on their scholarship committee so each semester, uh, we've got four semesters throughout the year, um, we give scholarships to little black girls who want to continue to play hockey and, and need help with their their costs and their um, equipment. So um, we give scholarships of $5,000, 3000 $1,000, um, and it's awesome to see the little girls who receive their prizes. And whoever receives their prizes gets fed into my mentorship program, um, and that's my connection with Black Girl Hockey Club.
0: Okay. So Soraya, thank you. Um, Can you just tell us um, how can people get in contact with you?
1: uh, So I'm Soraya Tinker 71 on all forms of social media, Instagram, Twitter, um, whatever it may be. Uh, You can visit my website. It's www.sorayastrong.com. And you can also visit my podcast. It's called Shut Up and Play. um, And, and yeah, my email is on my, my link tree on all my socials, but I'll respond to emails, DMs, whatever it may be. So,
0: hit me up. Okay, okay. Wow, this was a good one. This was a really good one. I guess to summarize for myself, it was really about just the journey of, you know, falling in love with skating, um, and then skating met ice hockey. And essentially, you really loving ice hockey, but then coming up with the, 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 the constant barrier of, and the constant reminder of you being um, a a black woman in ice hockey and really having to overcome the the mental barriers and hurdles. But essentially it's made you stronger and you have now become um, an activist and through all of the the hardship and pain. And now what that's ended up doing is ended up creating this, this program for for young for young black girls so yeah we can only salute and commend you this is going to be one of those and and let's be honest this is going to be a podcast that is going to be difficult for some of our listeners because whenever we talk about race it's always un- uncomfortable and i've mentioned it i've mentioned i mentioned it recently on a bonus episode is that we're not really comfortable speaking about the true depths of racism, we're very comfortable speaking about the low level racism, you know, such as calling someone the N word or calling, you know, a black person a monkey when it's a lot deeper than that. But we really, really commend you for what you're doing, uh, you know, on the other side of the world. So we really hope that the listeners get something from you. So Soraya, really, really good. We will stay in touch. And guys, until next time, um, stay safe and stay blessed.